You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm with Dmitry Dragliev, and he is the founder of an amazing company called Just Reach Out and also a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, Dmitry has founded and exited successfully uh, three different companies where he drove growth primarily through PR and SEO. And he's here to tell us more about that and also some real great nuggets about how to do amazing outreach in 2021. So, Dimitri, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, good to be here. Yeah. So the first thing I've got to ask you is about these these acquisitions. And one of them, I think, was even Google, uh, yep. right? So can you walk us through that history of, of how you were able to uh, build up these companies through organic PR and SEO and then make those successful exits? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask me this. Uh, I've been doing PR and SEO since 2007. And I was fortunate enough to sort of do a DIY style. I was never a big fan of PR firms. I'm not a big fan of consulting or communication firms. Uh, I do it all myself and I teach people how to do it themselves. So all my customers, everybody who subscribes to my course, PR that converts or subscribes to my software, just reach out. They all are learning how to do it themselves. And I learned how to do it myself. Uh, because I just didn't have the money or the time to really engage with any PR firms back then. Uh, and so the company, the Google acquisition was a company called Polar. And it was just this little polling app, you know, like sometimes you can ask people, hey, do you prefer Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, some other coffee, you know, Starbucks. And then you would have this little poll and you'd say, all right, what do you want? And the idea was, hey, we're going to make make a big splash with this thing, right? We got money from Jerry Yang. Um, he was the founder of Yahoo back in the day. This was 2012, 13 kind of. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem was that I just couldn't get PR for this little app. Like, you know, we got some money, we got some press, but it wasn't like we couldn't grow it. And we tried mm -hmm. ads and all sorts of different ways to grow the company to get downloads for this little polling app. We just couldn't. And what I did is I um, went to different news outlets and I used to troll the site called um, Tech Meme. And it's still around. Oh, yeah. It's sort of, uh, sort of like a big site. It's like, know, would you say like a mecca for uh, journalists and I don't know, anybody who's into like. I remember tech meme, yeah, back in the day. Yes. That was the, that was the place to go to, to find the tech journalists. Exactly. It's like, it's so anybody who's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, it's like one headline and then you get a ton of little, uh, basically, outlets that have covered that same headline. So you'll be like, Apple acquires startup Wix or I don't know, whatever it is. Facebook and talks to acquisition this. And then you'll have all these uh, outlets right underneath it. So you're like, oh, cool. Like all these people <laughs> covering yeah. the same thing. And so literally I would be like, oh, 
what's better, Xbox 360 or PS4? That was a big like thing back in the day. And so I, I saw that headline. I'm like, I'll create a poll on my little app. So I'd sit there and I'd create like a controller for PS4, the Xbox 360, games, whatever it is. Like I didn't know much about it. I'd just read up on it, create a little poll, promote it a little bit on Twitter, and then pitch it to mm-hmm. every journalist who's covered the topic and be like, hey, I have some data around Xbox versus uh, PS4, uh-huh. you know. And then when iOS 7 awesome came idea. out, you know, iOS 7 came out, I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do iOS 6 versus iOS 7. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we just did it over and over and over on every little breaking topic. And I just, you know, made it my job to ping every journalist. to let them know about the data and so they started including us and that was the genesis of how we started growing there's a lot more that we had to do to really make it to 40 million page views and get acquired by google but Mm -hmm. um but that was sort of the idea that we we worked on you know is that 40 million page views per month per month yes sorry wow amazing and a page view just so you understand so we had a poll so anytime somebody looked at a poll page like an actual page that had a poll on it and Mm -hmm. clicked anything on it then that would count as a view the funny part was that we first started with an app because our founder was a mobile first guy he authored all Mm -hmm. the books on mobile first he's the thought leader behind mobile first and of course we have to be mobile first wait who is it who is the founder what's his name luke Luke Rabluski, Luke W is his name. He, uh, he, if you look up mobile first, he's like the author on the first books around it, like early, like 2000, you know? (laughs) Uh, and so anyway, and so he, um, he's a big thought leader in the design space. And anyway, he used to just travel and speak for a living (laughs) and write books. Mm -hmm. And now he works at Google. He's worked at Google since 2014. But yeah, but yeah, it was funny. We started as an app, and now we have to transition to a web. I have a, a funny little side story. I joined Google in 2014, probably around the same time as the as the the, the oh. mobile first pioneer. And uh, I remember that 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 was the key narrative from probably 2014 to 2016 was we we have to get the web to think mobile first because the the usage of the web and the usage of, of search as well was shifting very fast over to mobile and actually it was it was more than just a narrative it really it really was uh, an existential threat to google's business if they could not migrate searchers from desktop and laptop over to over to mobile then people would just stop searching and they wouldn't build habits to search on mobile the way they did on desktop they would just use apps and, and, and then Google, you know, that, that, that was an existential threat to Google's business. So the mobile first narrative, uh, they were beating that into our brains those years, 2014, 2015, 16. Uh, wow. I remember that really well. Yeah. The, now it's everything is mobile. You know, they, they front yeah. up the page speed insights about what your, mm-hmm. the grade on your website, how well yeah. it performs technically. That's mobile first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Um, I'd like to I'd like to talk specifically about now what you're doing with with just reach out, and I think that outreach is something that has always been relevant, even before even before the web. 
How, what are some of the best practices now, and particularly for a SaaS company that might be interested in getting their name out there, both for potential users and for potential investors for future fundraising? What, what advice would you give to a SaaS company that has just overlooked their outreach and their PR efforts and really need to step it up? What advice would you give them? Well, I would say anybody who's starting out, you've never done PR, you don't know what is going to help you get press. And maybe you have some story like, you know, you, you got funding or maybe you have some big name person who's on your board now or something like that. And you think for some reason that, hey, you deserve press. Or you can go out and you can ping journalists, ping, I mean, email them, message them on Twitter, message them on LinkedIn, use a service, whatever you want. But you can ask them, hey, I have Jeffrey Katzenberg, or I have, I don't know, some big name star joining my board. You've covered him before. Would you be at all interested in covering him again now that he's on our board? Chances are it's kind of a story that's Maybe, but it's a little bit lame to just have that as a PR strategy, right? Because mm-hmm. a PR strategy for me is always, hey, how can I consistently replicate this over and over and over and over and get more and more exposure, right? It's not mm-hmm. a one-off like, hey, we're launching. Hey, we have a partnership. Hey, we have this or that. And so what I typically advocate for is if you've never done PR or you're just starting out, start answering journalists. Uh, questions, their queries. And there's tons of places you can find them. There's free Mm -hmm. ones, there's paid ones. We aggregate all of them and just reach out. But a very cheap free one to start with is Help a Reporter. Everybody sort of have heard of it. Maybe if you haven't, helpareporterout.net, I think is the the URL or helpareporter.com. I think it's Mm helpareporter.com. But Help a Reporter Out is a free service. It's run by Cision. And what that does is if you subscribe to it and it's free, you check off the interests that you are an expert in. For example, marketing, maybe you're an expert in security, whatever it is. They will send you an email newsletter with those queries from journalists. And those queries are asking questions specifically. Hey, I have uh, an article I'm writing about X. I'd like an expert to comment on Y. And so you can answer those questions without really having a big PR story. And you can replicate that and consistently get more and more exposure that way because all you do is you're just helping them out. And this is a great way to learn what journalists are looking for, build relationships with them, and get exposure at the same time. Now, Help Reporter Out is just one of them. There is Turkle, which is another one. There's mm-hmm. Quoted with a W, Q-W-O-T-E-D. There's a lot of these little and smaller and bigger places where journalists go to put in questions that they're looking for. Um, there's paid ones like ProfNet. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've been around for a while, so we, we have partnerships with most of them. But, you know, if you're just starting out, I would start there, start answering questions from journalists. And then, you know, there's multiple levels uh, higher that you can go from there, you know, if you already yeah. got some credibility. So, yeah, answering questions and just getting on their radar screen, trying to help them out so that, you know, they would be open 
they would be open to featuring you when you are when you actually do have something press worthy to say. And it's easy. Right? And uh, you know, if anybody's listening to this, and they're like, Dimitri, I'm not sure. Like, it's uh, it's been like I don't know, ten minutes, and this is the first tip that dropped, and this is good, but I need more. Like, I can't really do this myself right now. This is not very practical or actionable. Well, I have a template that gets eighty percent open rate. You know, we've had five thousand customers on just reach out pitching. We've sent north of 5 million emails. I know the templates that work, which don't. The template I have, it's public. It's on our blog. If you are ever unsure, like, hey, I don't know how to respond, or hey, what should I, how should I do this? Just email me. I will send you this free template. It's, you don't even need to sign up for anything. You don't need to sign up for my newsletter. You don't have to do anything. You just look at the template on my blog, copy mm-hmm. it, adopt it, respond. So there should be no ifs and buts about doing this. If you're yeah. listening to this, you should be dedicating 15 minutes a day just to get a little bit of that going for yourself. <laughs> yeah. So 15 minutes a day, you think that you can actually move the needle? If you, if you're well, I mean, I would say more, but the thing is what happens psychologically, and I've been through this so many times with most of my customers, is you try something, and if you don't get a immediate response back, most of us just want that thing really fast because we're so mm-hmm. used to it these days. We need something immediate, right? And if there's nothing positive coming out immediately, then we drop it. We do less and less and less. And so I say start with 15 minutes, graduate to 30 minutes a day. And th- between 15 and 30 minutes a day consistently, you'll get one or two hits. It could mm-hmm. be, it, it might take you weeks, maybe two, three weeks or something like that. But mm-hmm. the minute you get a response back saying, hey, Paris, yeah, I'd love your response. Uh, this is great. Um, I'll feature it in, in a few weeks. Then you're going to spend an hour right, on it a day because now you got something positive. So I say invest mm-hmm. 15 to 30 because that's easy for us to do without getting that positive response back. And then once you get that positive response back, then naturally you're going to gravitate to it. You're going to do more work on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one thing that you can do. There's other things that you could be doing, you know, if you wanted to really fully engage with it. What I typically find people saying is, hey, I run a small business, a small startup, a SaaS. We may be, maybe it's a midsize, but we just don't have time to do this. We don't have resources to do PR. And it's really, I'm going to need to hire somebody for it. And it's really not the case, right? What I'm saying is you should engage in it yourself, do some of it yourself, get it going, and then you can hire out and and get other people to help you, you know? Uh, And so what I'm trying to do is get people in it, you know, doing it themselves for 30 minutes a day, Mm -hmm. getting some publicity, you know? Yeah. I noticed that uh, some of the tools in the toolbox for, for Just Reach Out, uh, are things like getting unlinked mentions and going after broken links. Do you still believe that links are still an extremely important part of Google's uh, SEO ranking algorithm? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That has not changed. I mean, there are other... I've done SEO since even earlier than PR. You know, like 2000. Six, seven was when I was introduced to PR. I was thinking about SEO before that because um, I have a computer science background and I'm, I also have a marketing degree and I've, I've done both. But mm-hmm. um, 
I was very technical back in the day, very. And so I used to analyze um, links and their capacity to rank. Earlier in the days, like in 2005, 2008, 2010, it was a very much link-driven game. And the type of links didn't really matter as much for Google. I could get maybe four links on any let's say a domain that's over six months old and I could rank number one for a very, very high quality, big volume keyword like wine in United States or something like that, or Mm -hmm. Chateau, I don't know, Bordeaux, uh, you know, best Bordeaux for 2022 or best Bordeaux to buy. I could probably Mm -hmm. rank very easily. Nowadays, links matter, but not quite the same way it's mm-hmm. definitely a link driven game like you can rank with links but there's so many other things pre- preventing you from doing this right so domain authority of the site that's linking to you really matters mm-hmm. how clean of a link profile do they have do they have mm-hmm. very odd links pointing to them do they link out to a lot of places is it the quality of that domain, right? And so mm-hmm. anything that's linking to you, it needs to be a very clean, authoritative, uh, you know, domain. And it's very, it's it's, it's hard right now, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are starting to do all sorts of link partnerships and trying to link out to lots of different people and exchange, they get links. And so mm-hmm. links definitely help rankings these days, but there's other aspects that... um are involved now there is a lot of technological improvements that you need to do with your site to make it look snappy and fast on mobile Mm -hmm. Uh, there is usability um, metrics that you have to take into account that google reports to you now there is also readability like how long does the customer scroll through your content consume it those are all the impacts um, of of uh, these things and Link placement, link anchor, where is it placed within the article? What kind of words appear before and after it? How mm-hmm. many links does this article have in general compared to your link? You know, mm-hmm. all these things. So the algorithm has become much more sophisticated. I still do the same work I did in 2005, but in my mind, you know, I'm not just going after links. I know that I have to take all these aspects into account to successfully mm-hmm. rank high on Google. Uh, but that's primarily my job, you know, is yeah. to, to get people to rank, you know. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's an SEO benefit and you always would rather have the link than not have the link. Uh, but what about the instances where the journalist uh, just has a history of not, of not providing a do follow link, but they will give you a mention and the audience is there. I mean, is that typically still worth pursuing hard? Well, I'll, 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 the small disagreement, so I, I would say it's not always to have, good to have a link than not to have a link. I actually go after uh, sites and I ask them to remove links to, to my blog and to my site if the site I think is spammy or crappy. So mm-hmm. a spammy or crappy site might have, oh, I don't know, 20 links in an article or maybe they're linking mm-hmm. out in places where a link doesn't really deserve to be. Like if you ever mm-hmm. pay close attention, you'll find that some blogs link out in a place where it doesn't really need a link. Like it just Mm -hmm. doesn't really matter if there's a link there, right? They'll link out like a 
very generic, like a marketing communications or something like uh, marketing tools. And it just randomly links to another, to another site where it, in the context of that article, it doesn't really matter if, if there's a link over, it's not a reference to anything. It's not yeah. a data reference, nothing. And so that just um, reeks, that reeks of a paid link, doesn't it? It reeks of a paid link, and then it, it really it just it spells out crappy site, spammy site, get me out of here. And mm-hmm. so I go after, I have um, an assistant that goes and looks at everybody, all the incoming links to us, and we, we, we reach out and say thank you for, you know, linking it to us. Please, you know, remove the link. We really don't, don't really want a link from, from your site, but thanks anyways. So that, that's one thing mm-hmm. that I always say. Uh, but in terms of uh, getting a link that's not follow, it's fine. I, I'm a big proponent of, of, you know, follow, do not follow. It doesn't matter to me as much. I've done an, a couple experiments where we looked at the quality of the links. And basically, if the link is getting clicks, then it's going to help you. If the link mm-hmm. isn't really getting that many clicks... It's not like the, then you just need to look at the spamminess of the site and see if you really want that link. Uh, but follow or do not follow doesn't bother me as much. Of course, follow is better, but I, mm-hmm. I'm fine with getting a do not follow as long as it's getting clicks, as long as it's relevant, you know. Yeah. So a related question to that, when you do outreach to people asking them to remove the link, I presume uh, if that's done at large scale, you still have a majority of people that don't answer and don't take action. And that's all, that's about all you can do. Maybe you make a few attempts at, do you still then take that next step and disavow those links? Or do you think that disavowing links even matters today? I haven't been as consistent with it. You know, I must admit in the last three years, I just lost the regimen of just doing disavowing the links. It's something nice to do. I think I just have been focused on getting really good quality links versus trying to run that process of disavowing the links, getting rid of, you know, crappy links. It's probably a good thing to do. You know, um, there's a priority of things for me. One is getting new links. The other one is, um, removing broken links. And so broken links, I, I, and in doing internal linking, Though I found that the broken links on my site and removing them and internally linking stuff better inside the site actually does more than getting outside links to my site right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I run three blogs now, Small Biz Tools and Criminally Prolific and Just Reach Out. And I I do see that, um, and I use a great plugin for that that automatically finds all the broken links, removes them for me and also helps me internally link things automatically. Um, mm-hmm. But is that, um, by the way, is that called Link Whisperer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so know. So I know, I know Spencer really well. You probably talked to him or he and I are from the huh? same Okay. Oh, well, we, we use the tool. I haven't met Spencer, no. Okay. Uh, we, we, we use that ourselves, Link Whisperer. It's, a, it's such a time saver. It's great. Um, so it helps me a bit with that. So I, I would concentrate on internal linking, broken link removal, and then getting good quality links to you. Disavowing and doing these other things might be lower on the priority 
you know, um, I do have fantastic developers that are on it trying to improve the grades on my site, you know, mm -hmm. for PageSpeed Insights every single day. They sit there and they test every single blog post that I have on Google PageSpeed Insights and improve mm -hmm. the quality and performance. Yeah. So I think that that's a whole, th that third new aspect of site performance, especially in mobile performance is now, I believe, a major set of, of ranking factors. Yeah, they just uh, Google Search Console, you know, if you go to Core Web Vitals, you'll yeah. see there's tons of things that it shows for you. And they'll even break down this year in version 8 of the Lighthouse calculator, mm -hmm. which is a calculator that Google uses to grade your site. That's how PageSpeed Insights runs. They actually showed you uh, which of the subtasks of each grade move the grade higher and so that was a big thing so like say you had a score of 60 you're like well what should i fix should i fix the largest content painful should i fix the javascript the dom and these are all technical jargon that people probably might not understand but these are different tasks that the developer would be tasked with right mm -hmm. and so now if you say hey do this one and it only moves the needle up this much you're like, hey, I just spent a thousand bucks. This guy fixed it, but my grade only went up that much. And what happened? Mm -hmm. Until now, we didn't know what moves the grade higher. Now we do. It's like, hey, fix this one. And then if you fix this little part, like CSS or whatever, then it moves the grade mm -hmm. higher, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, Dimitri, what is your take on all the latest uh, Google algorithm updates from the last couple of years where we generally, as marketers, we're we were given no information and we've had clients see traffic shoot up and also fall off a cliff as a result of some of these updates. They generally, Google gives us some hints about them, but they're, they're much less transparent than they were in the old days where the old days you had these infamous updates like Google Panda and Google Penguin. How, how can, particularly how can a SaaS company that really wants to generate and grow organic traffic, how, how can they, you know, protect themselves against these algorithm changes that, that might dramatically affect their traffic overnight? Yeah, good question. That, so we, we see a lot of analysis of these things, right? Like every, people love to just discuss and, and, and talk it to death. Like, oh, this algorithm meant this. There's grades that people assign to them, severity. Uh, even Moz has a whole like weather thing where it's like yeah. stormy versus not. People go nuts with it. They absolutely go nuts. I always say, you know, in terms of content, I think Google is focused on figuring out where is the best quality authoritative content that they can show for a given keyword. And so I don't typically do anything shady and I try not to suggest people do anything odd or weird with their content in terms of promoting or, or linking to it. I firmly believe that if you create very, very high quality content, you will end up, you know, uh, ranking for it. Now, it can't just be great content, right? It has to be epic. It has to be something that is earth shattering, right? It cannot be sort of kind of like everyone else, but a little better. And that's what I think people go wrong is they will, they'll create content to rank They'll say, hey, I'll get enough links to it. This is good content. This is great content. But the thing is, you need to consistently improve it, right? So when you publish it, 
and you need to add to it. You need to add examples, infographics, videos. You need to add stats. And the thing is what Google likes to see, it doesn't like to see new content consistently on your blog. It likes to see you improve that same piece of content over and over and over and over again and promote it in different places and, and go after other people and get them to promote it and insert their quotes into it. And so what I would do as a SaaS company is just like have three or four or five blog posts and consistently make them better and better and, and improve them and remove things out of them and add infographics in them and put other stuff in it. And then when you expand your team, maybe you'll have five more that you're going to be, but they're epic, right? You're mm -hmm. going to like, to this day, I wrote this article in 2017 on how to, I got pipe drive to rank number one for the word sales management. And that's still the, the biggest keyword for them. They get like all their leads from it, right? They outrank Sweet. Wikipedia, the word sales management, right? And I wrote this big case study on how to do it on Moz. And to this day, Moz runs ads on my case study from 2017. Moz mm -hmm. runs ads on my article from 2017 because it's just so good, right? And I mm -hmm. consistently improve it. Like I, I'll tell them, hey, this is no longer relevant. Can you edit this part out of my article? Can you add that in there? Um, so it's still relevant. And so content like that, that would just teach people consistently um, revising it. I think that's how to protect yourself from being downranked and, 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 you know, your ranking shifting. Cause what happens is Google just gets better at figuring out what, what is really evergreen content that deserves to be there consistently. That's driving mm -hmm. value for people. And most content just expires. Like it just is, is old. It's outdated. It's not, a, it's not good content a year from now. So make your content evergreen, truly evergreen, improve it, improve it again, and then uh, promote it and, and, yeah. and keep doing that. And that's how you, you stay on top, I think. Yeah. Hey, do you think there's ever a good reason to, to de-index, to no-index a piece of content when it's just not, there's really not an opportunity to upgrade it? I mean, maybe it's just, it, it has no, it never was evergreen. It was just, it was a, a new story about something. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, keep asking. <laughs> yeah, because we've seen we've seen a lot of success with these with these types of uh, content audits, and, and actually just really reducing the amount of content that Google is indexing and uh, and consolidating it. So Google actually crawls less, but spends its crawl budget on the best content. Spends more of its crawl budget on the best content. Do you think that's a that's a good strategy? It is. I. Personally, I, my blog, Criminally Prolific, I started that in 2013. And so um, 2019, I had close to 150 articles on it. And what I did is I removed all but 30 of them because I just went through and I, uh, Brian Dean from Backlink, who is a customer and is a good friend of mine, and he personally did that a few years before me. And he said, Dimitri, like, it's night and day, you know, I just got rid of everything that wasn't getting traffic. And I just started mm -hmm. and I kept like my top performing ones. And I said, I'm going to do the same, you know, since you tell me, you know, Brian Dean, Backlinko, you know, good advice, uh, mm -hmm. probably usually good advice from a guy like that. And so yeah. uh, I, I did the same. I did it. You know, we met for dinner. He told me, I was like, I went back that night, removed 
most of my articles, 120 articles I removed from my site. The site doubled in my tra in traffic on those la on those 30 articles. Now I invested maybe three weeks of complete revamp of those 30 articles. Right, this was like a team of five writers going nuts on my 30 articles. Right. Mm -hmm. But in three, three and a half weeks, we completely revamped those articles, improved them. And it's a lot of work to continuously improve articles, you know. But I'm already starting, you know, like I used to rank number one for the word cold email. Right now I'm number two because I see like I haven't up updated that article in a little while. And so email pitch, I'm back to number one, the word email mm -hmm. pitch. But, mm -hmm. you know, I recently had to update that one. PR outreach is the same way. Media pitch is the same way. Like all these different keywords that I'm, um, you know, um, updating. And so, yeah, definitely is uh, valuable to remove old content that's not performing. Very valuable because mm -hmm. then you just, you got to, just the unicorns. You want your unicorns to be the best ones out there and that's it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I just, uh, our, our team recently stumbled into a, a new product within Google Search Console called Search Console Insights, and it's in beta. Uh, have you come across this this tool yet? A Search little Console bit. Insights. I not too much. I have. I saw it like once. I just didn't have time to really look at it. Yeah. It, I don't have it anymore for some reason. But I, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna well, have to re-log in on my other account. This is this is Google finally giving giving a major nod to content creators because. It shows you for which individual pieces of content have the, the best engagement. They're actually pulling a lot of data from Google Analytics that you could probably dig out of Google Analytics, but they're surfacing it in a really user-friendly way. So you can see which article has the highest average duration on page, which article is trending right now, and, and there's some other examples. And this mm. is really a guide. I, I think this is a guide where Google is saying, these are the articles you need to double down on these are the articles that we're paying attention to. You may want to refresh them. You may want to promote them even further. But these, these are the hot articles that you need to focus on. And not only focus, but maybe even iterate or pivot off of those. And if you have a so-called pillar page and it's doing really well, then you might want to start building some other cluster pages around it if it's, if it's trending. But this, this is really the first time Google is giving very direct feedback on content engagement inside of Search Console. And I think that this is Google's telling us what you just told us, mm. which is that we don't want you to publish 10 articles a day on just whatever and just crank out content. And it's not a volume game at all. We're going to show you the stuff that is doing well or it's trending and the topics are trending. Focus there. We're going to show you where you should focus your efforts and, um, and improve this content and maybe advertise some of it. I think they wouldn't mind that either instead of always just trying to put all of the emphasis on new content, new content, new content. And I think a lot of, even within SaaS companies that are getting into content marketing, I think their first mode is we need to produce uh, two posts or three posts per week or five per week. And we need a lot of keywords and we need to just go after it and execute it. But once you reach a certain point of critical mass and you're doing well, I think it's equally important to just to do the housekeeping and to clean up, um, to, to remove some of the stuff and uh, and to keep updating the stuff that's working. Yeah, well. I um I do something called Mechanical Turk. Uh, you know, Amazon Mechanical Turk. And what I do is I create a task on there, like read my article, like find my article using Google, then read mm -hmm. it, 
And then it's a series of questions about the article, like, what is the best way to do this or something they should have learned from my article. And I have them spend maybe three to five minutes on my site. It improves, you know, of course, Google sees the traffic coming in. It helps uh, to see some traffic going to your, to your blog. But it also gives you a lot of insight into how people perceive your article, they understand it, do they understand specific mm -hmm. points that you're trying to communicate. And it does both. You know, it helps you improve the article. It drives traffic to the article and helps rank it, right? Because if you have incoming traffic, and I pay people four bucks uh, a response, you know, that's a lot of money. And I'll do 300, 400 responses. This is, this is a significant investment. But I'm not mm -hmm. looking into it like just driving traffic to my site. I'm paying four bucks for a person to find my blog post through Google, then engage with it, read it, then answer some questions and tell me how to improve the article so it's more readable, so it's easier to understand, more usable kind of uh, you know experience mm -hmm. for people. Uh, so I do a lot of that work to find out these things about the article because a lot of times. Like I'll see something like that at Google, in Google and I'm like, all right, this article is doing well, but I don't really exactly know how to improve it. I might have some ideas, but I'm not the reader. You know, I don't really know, right? And so this helps to rank it, to help rank it, and at the same time get some feedback. Wow, that's an awesome tip. And it's uh, maybe that's, that money is better, is better, uh, more well spent than just putting it, let's say, on, on promoting, you know, pay-per-click platforms. Yeah, don't uh, don't do those. Th those are just they'll optimize the hell out of it. They'll get you the most clicks. Some of those clicks will be bots. It'll be like a weird whatever spike of traffic, and then it'll just go mm -hmm. down. And it doesn't really help anybody. You just spent like a thousand bucks or whatever uh, with mm -hmm. Mechanical Turk or like user test. I don't know. There's like other platforms, but I like Mechanical Turk. It's easy. It's like mm -hmm. you give them all these questions to answer, and they need to answer them before they get their money. And it's real people and they have to spend up to a certain amount of time on the site kind of reading it to understand it really. So it mm -hmm. becomes, a, yeah, it helps drive traffic. It helps ranking, of course, but it also gives you ideas on how to improve the article. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, that, that's gold. Yeah, I've never heard of that approach, but I, I love that. Um, good. I, I know where the, the, the time is running out for us, but I have one more particular question about sure. your content marketing workflow. And that's the stuff that happens before the, the content is produced. And here at our agency, we have a pretty detailed process of a, what we call a content brief. And uh, there's as much effort and maybe more effort that goes into that than actually the writing of the piece itself, because it's all the, all the research and not just an outline, but a, a very clear set of guidelines for the writer for which subtopics should be included around the core topic, um, where the links need to be placed, external links, internal links, uh, calls to action, and, and all that stuff. What kind of process do you have of prepping your writer, the subject matter expert, prior to them sitting down and writing? Yeah, so they're actually involved in the keyword research uh, before that. So mm -hmm. we do keyword research together with the writer. Usually they're not doing the research, but they are in line with my sort of uh, idea of what the keyword will be. I use something called Market Muse. I don't know if you've seen that platform. Um, a yep. good friend of mine runs it. He's the CEO, Aki. 
Um, I've followed that company since the very inception. We were neighbors in the North End. Uh, and so we're, we're still very good friends with Akia Market Muse. Market Muse does really good uh, topical depth analysis. And what that does is for any writer who's writing content, they need to know what topics is your competition covering topically, topical depth. Like say, you know, you start at the very basic term of like content marketing. What are the subsets of that? There's SEO, there's keyword research, there's writing, all link building, all these subtopics, right? What are the subtopics that are being covered by your competition who are ranking one, two, three, four, five? That and what is the score for them? Like how topically deep are they, right? And how topically mm -hmm. deep do you need to be to outrank them topically, right? Mm -hmm. This is what a tool this tool does, Market Muse, and it's really good um, uh, in in actually. I think it's the best tech in the in the space. There's some some competitors that claim to be somewhat close to them. They're nowhere close to them. I, I in my opinion, you know, ClearScope. I've looked at that for a number of years. Just uh, kind of a spinoff app. Um, and some of these other ones I'm not a big fan of. So anyway, my process is with the writer analyzing topical depth of your competitors, weaknesses of your competitors as well. Weakness might be the content is dated, the content is not topically deep enough, the content is usability really sucks. Whatever it is, there's multiple issues probably with the content. So I usually analyze that together with the writer. We have a uh, topical depth analysis that they usually use to, to write the brief. And um, they're also involved in the keyword research. Basically, when I talk to the writer, I'm like, all right, if you're going to court tomorrow, you're going to present a case saying, hey, your article is better than all these top 10 on Google. What are mm -hmm. the reasons why? Like, what are going to be the, re the real reasons why we're going to make this argument and win, right? And we're going to make a really good case. We need to, right? And so we really need to point out specific, like real problems with the content that's ranking. And then we're going to address them in our article. And so um, as long as we do that, we're mm -hmm. good. Uh, but there's a lot yeah. of that prep that goes into it. The topical depth, the mm -hmm. keyword itself, then weaknesses, and then what's wrong with it. We kind of have to do all that thinking together with the writer and we have to be on the same page because we just can't crank out a random article that's like on topic and is thorough mm -hmm. and it's 5,000 words. It's just, yeah, yeah. it doesn't work. It needs to address them. And then after they write it, we sit down again. Like we each read it, we sit down and I read it and I'm like, all right, what were the weaknesses? What were the problems with it? Did we really address them? And how did, how well did we address them? Well, for this weakness, we really, you know, nailed it, right? For this one, I don't know, maybe. For this one, we kind of did it. And so it, you don't have to do all of them, but you have to have a plan because remember, you're going to be updating it every week. So you can be mm -hmm. like, all right, this will be the first version I put out. It's going to be like grade C. Then the next mm -hmm. version is going to be B minus. That's going to be in a week. Then in a week and a half, maybe B plus. And then we're going to keep moving that way, right? So you're not mm -hmm. going to address all of those problems and weaknesses right off the bat. You're going to be addressing them with updates going forward. So mm -hmm. that writer is committed on this article for like four months, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really, really important point that you just made, Dimitri, which is that when you publish an article, that's not the end of the process. That's the beginning of the process, isn't it? Because you know that you're not just going to publish it and let it sit there for the next three years. 
but that you're coming back even a week later with new stuff and you're going to be looking to do lots of frequent updates and improve it. And I think that's a whole different mindset for a writer and for content marketers. Most people are not thinking like that, I believe. Yeah, I'm trying to teach people to think that way more. It's like a product, more or less. So like yeah, you're launching like a mini SaaS or whatever. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to have too many of them because you just can't manage that many, right? And so yeah. you just it's like a little investment you make into a SaaS company where you're like a co-founder. And now you need to continuously improve that product to keep keep it working you know so oh yeah you know this this thing about topical depth i i think about it almost if i were to draw a picture it would be a series it would be a big venn diagram with lots of bubbles overlapping and in the space where all the circles are overlapping these are the top five ranking articles let's say that area where all those circles are overlapping are the must-have subtopics i mean you cannot publish without those subtopics and then all the other stuff where you have what you would want to do is literally draw a circle around the entire Venn diagram and comprehensively capture all the subtopics that Google is showing you. We're ranking, we're ranking these pages that cover this subtopical depth. This page that's ranking number one's got doing the best job of it, but this page number two has got a few other things. And what you really, I believe what you really want to do is you want to fill in all those gaps in that Venn diagram. And that is, how you can actually demonstrate to Google in, uh, if Google is the, is the judge in that court of, of opinion that you're presenting that evidence, you want to say, look, I mean, this is ranking us. Site number one did this and site number two's got this bubble, but we've got it all. We've drawn the circle around the whole thing. Absolutely. There was a great case study before we uh, end this. I want to tell you, I um, worked on and I heard about this from Dan Shore um, mm-hmm. hearing aids was a big, the, the, he wanted to rank for hearing aids and, um, the company was healthy hearing. And so to work, rank for hearing aids is the volume of like 300,000 a month, right? They had to cover every single thing underneath hearing aids. So let's say hearing aids, batteries, hearing aids, underwater, hearing aids, you know, for seniors, hearing aids, insurance. And mm-hmm. they took maybe three years to cover every single subtopic <laughs> underneath it and do a very good job at covering it. And eventually after three years, they started ranking for the word hearing aids because they mm-hmm. were the most thoroughly depth content out there. Google has indexed all of these things in a little, they had like a help section where it was all like uh, all, all these, all this content. Yeah. And so that was just such a good example of, uh, you know, really going after topical depth keyword wise and you know Mm -hmm. in the keyword they also had their subtopics uh but i i like to think that way you know i i want to be you know the best for you know pr whatever it is then you got to go after every single one underneath yeah well dimitri this has been great i know you've got to bounce and and uh, we could we could probably go on for hours and geek out about this stuff it's really interesting for me too and I hope I hope we can have you back on at some point and, and continue yeah. the conversation. I'm happy so, to come on for part two or just connect and chat about it. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, look, where where can people find you, and and where can they find just reach out if they want to do take the next step? So, um, reach criminallyprolific.com is my site, the blog, and it has links to everything that I do, the, all the tools, all the courses, everything is there. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just check out criminallyprolific.com. Uh, but if you want to go, just reach out. Just reach out. That IO is the, the URL for that. Awesome. 
Well, thanks for spending the time with me, Dimitri. I really enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to the next chat and right. uh, look forward to staying in touch. All right. Sounds good. We'll follow right. up on LinkedIn or email or whatever. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> All take right. care. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.